The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's sermon, we finally get to the point in the book of Job where God has come on the scene. And we've entitled this section of the book of Job, The Answer's God. What's the question? Because you see, as God comes on the scene, all the accusations and the answers that have been made and given throughout the book of Job fall by the wayside. We said from the beginning that we have to filter the book of Job through who is speaking. But when God comes on the scene, God speaks absolute truth every time, and he gets the application just right. So what God is doing is showing them that he is the ultimate end of all things, and he is the ultimate answer to every question. So join us today as we embark upon a study of God's answer when he appears to Job and his miserable comforter friends in the whirlwind. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
tonight we want to go back to the book of Job and I want to go to the 38th chapter. I've been looking forward to getting to this chapter through the whole book of Job. We've taken a long time getting here because there's been a lot to cover. But tonight we're going to go here and I want to uh, title this message, if I can, uh, The Answer is God. Now what's the question? The answer is God. Now what's the question? <laughs> so we're going to look at that. Now here we see in the book of Job, the 38th chapter, that after all that has gone before, God finally speaks. He's been silent as far as men is concerned all through this chapter. We've we heard from him as readers back in the first and second chapters, but from the third chapter to the 37th chapter, it's all been men talking. We've seen a lot of good thoughts come from some of these men. We've seen a lot of rotten thoughts come from some of these men. Job has, has said some really good things in his statements. He said some really bad things. Uh, uh, his three miserable comforters made some statements that are true throughout their discourses, but most of the time they applied it wrong. Elihu got a lot of it right, maybe even you might say righter than his miserable comforter friends, but he still got it wrong as well. And ultimately, if you remember last time, he was beginning to talk about the whirlwind and talk about the thunder and the lightning, which makes me wonder, brother buddy, if perhaps that storm was already gathering in the background as he was speaking. I don't know if that's so or not, but I know this. As we begin chapter 38, we read, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said. So there was something there. There was something that appeared that contained God. And remember, God was not the whirlwind, but he was in the whirlwind. Now, there's been a twofold problem all the way through the book of Job. It's sort of a, it's more than that, but just to boil it down to maybe make it a little simpler. There's been a twofold problem. The first problem is that Job's friends think that Job is evil and wicked, and that's why God is destroying him. But on the other side, Job, who thinks he's righteous, and he is not, is, he's not wicked like they think he is, but because he knows he's not that wicked and he thinks a little more highly of himself than he should, he thinks that God is unjust, and that's why God is destroying him. And the truth of the matter is that both are wrong. Both are wrong. They're both trying to, uh, to explain God and explain different aspects of God. And all of them get a little bit of it right, but they get the big picture wrong. And, the, and God comes on the scene and responds to all of them with, reference, with a reference to his own power and majesty and he answers their questions with questions of his own, beginning here in chapter 38. I counted, and I'm not going to say my count is exactly right, because I didn't, maybe, I maybe combined a question or two or didn't separate a question that I should have. But if I'm correct, it was, there are 86 questions that God asks, none of which Job or anyone else present can answer. And so all of these questions <clears throat> that Job has and that his friends have and that have been dealt with throughout this whole book here, the response to all of these questions is a very simple three-word response. And it's this, I am God. I am God. 
And the truth of the matter is, if we'll think about it, the answer to every question in life is God. As I said in titling this message, the answer's God. What's the question? What's the question? You know, if you're concerned about the beginning of times, in the beginning, God. You're concerned about issues of life, of, of eternal salvation, but when you see yourself as a sinner, but God. You see issues of trouble in this world where the wicked seem to ascend to heights of fame and glory and, the, and the, those who are uh, poor and afflicted seem to be trodden upon, but God. You see people getting away with sin. You know, they got some of that right. They, God has a way of judging sin in a timely sense many times. You remember over there in David's situation, David thought he had gotten away with adultery and murder and all sorts of corruption, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. <laughs> but God, when you see troubles in life, when you have issues for God, God is rich in mercy. God loves his people with an everlasting love. You know, there's a reason God is called I am. <laughs> I am. You know, it's, we read that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he's not the great I was, and he's not the great I will be, although he was and he will be. But what matters for us is I am. He is now what we need. We've talked about a lot of prayer requests. There's people that are sick in the hospital. I am the great physician. God is the answer. We see people mourning the loss of loved ones. I am the God of all comfort who gives the peace that passeth all understanding. Notice how he answers these troubles of life. He doesn't give so much an explanation of himself as a revelation of himself and his majesty and his glory and his power. And that's what we need in the midst of trouble. If you think about it, in many, many places, in fact, almost every time in Scripture where we see God high and lifted up, it's in the midst of a time of great trouble and tribulation. That's what happened in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died. If you go back and look at the history of King Uzziah, it was a time of great political turmoil. It was a time of great trouble and, the, and, and discord in the lives of the children of Israel over there. Uzziah was the king, you see, who was, who was a good king early on, but he got lifted up in pride in his own eyes, and he went into the temple to usurp the authority of the priests. He tried to burn incense there, and they withstood him to his face. And they said, King, it doesn't appertain to you to do this. And he was going to be prideful, and he was going to do it anyway, and God struck him with leprosy. And he ended up, their king now, having to dwell in a separate house. He didn't get to be the king like kings are supposed to be. And he finally died. What happens when he dies? It's time of turmoil. But in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the time when the children of Israel were weeping and being taunted by the river Kibar over there. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel saw the Lord, a vision of the Lord, high and lifted up. A wheel within a wheel. And I don't know all the explanations of that, brother buddy. I'll let you preach on that sometime. But I'll tell you this, it was glorious. And it displayed the majesty of God. In a time when Jacob was fleeing for his life. 
And in fact, I believe in a time when before he was even born of the Spirit, but, but in a time when he was fleeing from his brother Esau, after having tricked his father and cheated him his way into the blessings of his father, all he had was a stone, a rock for his pillow. He had a vision of the latter, Jesus Christ himself ascending from heaven to earth and the angels ascending and descending upon it. When John was in exile, away from all of those he loved, towards the end of his life, can you imagine? You know, we have a, a thing called a mercy release from prison when someone gets to the age where they're old and feeble and they, they're no longer, even if they're serving a life sentence, sometimes the commissioner of the Department of Corrections can release them if they're old and sickly and nearing the end of their life. He can just release them out of mercy because they're no longer a threat. And, and, and yet we have an old preacher, John, uh, the revelator, the apostle, the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, who was no threat to anybody but was being persecuted by the Roman authorities. And he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos over there. And what did he see? He saw Jesus Christ in his glory. He saw him there on that day. The revelation of God. Is what we need more than an explanation of his nature, although that's important to know about him. But more than anything else, we need to see, we need a revelation of him, of himself to us. And that's what happened here as all of this trouble was happening. Now think about this too. Think about this. Don't, don't miss, I, I keep harping on this because it's important. This book is the first book written in the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. You know, we do. We, I just quoted, I just referenced so many accounts in Scripture about God being high and lifted up. They didn't have that then. This is the first account. This is the first time we see God high and lifted up in a time of trouble. And I find it so amazing and so comforting that what's being dealt with here is the, the typical problem of everyday life, which is suffering and injustice and things not looking like they're working out right. What did God do to respond to that? God revealed himself in a mighty way. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're, we probably won't get too deep into it tonight because I want to spend a little bit of time in the, in the introduction, but... But I want us to look at it here. Notice in chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Notice what he's doing here. God has come on the scene now and he is beginning to reveal himself and he's going to answer their questions again, not by giving them specific answers necessarily, but by just reminding them that I am God and you are not. And that's sometimes some, what we need to be reminded of, isn't it? So look at what he says first. The first thing basically he's saying is, who are you? <laughs> who are you? He said, I'm coming here. I'm going to... I'm going to uh, reveal myself to you. He said, who are you? <laughs> I 
Now notice it's primarily directed at Job, although I don't believe it's just directed at Job. It's directed at all of them, although Job is the one he addresses and Job is the one who ultimately responds. And he lays out the foundational principle that I just shared with you. I am God and you are not. And sometimes he has to remind us of this foundational principle. You remember back over in Psalm chapter 50. That psalm is a great psalm about God. And in fact, it starts off by telling us a little about God. He says, the mighty God, (laughs) the mighty God, even the Lord hath spoken. The mighty God. What is this mighty God able to do? You know, there were some gods in the pantheon of those pagan worship systems that supposedly had a lot of power. Zeus was the god of the lightning and it came, you know, he had a lot of power, but he could be thwarted. There were things he could do. In fact, none of those gods were creators of this universe. But notice what this God, our God is, the mighty God, even the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. You know, that's a mighty God that can just use his voice to call the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof. You know, we're told over in the book of Colossians that uh, that he is, uh, by him, he upholds all things. Christ himself upholds all things by the word of his power. You want to, in the morning when you you get up, if you're up in time to see the sunrise, remember this verse. God has called this earth from that rising of the sun and he is calling it and sustaining it until the going down thereof. If you could see the sunrise in the morning and then see the sun set, you can know from this verse alone that God has been in the matter. God has been in the matter. He goes on to talk about God in some very important ways, about calling to the heavens and to the earth and judging his people. And verse 6, the heavens shall declare his righteousness. He talks about the fact over, I love, I love verses uh, beginning in verse 9 there, those few verses, he said, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. All these gods that they thought had to be appeased in order for their crops to grow because they needed the blood of the sacrifices or they needed some other uh, bounty that they needed to bring to them. God doesn't need that. He didn't call for, call for sacrifices in order for us uh, so that he could bless us with, the, uh, uh, with the, the goodness of the earth. He didn't need, that's not what those sacrifices were for. He didn't need them. He said, I'm not going to take a bullock out of your folds because every beast of the forest is mine. Those sacrifices weren't to give God something he didn't already have. It was to display to man that God was going to save his people from their sins through a bloody sacrifice of the perfect lamb. He said, I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. Next time you get to thinking God needs something that you got, remember that. If he was hungry, he wouldn't even tell you. He said, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? God, you're not giving him these things so he can have something to eat. And then he goes on down in verse 16 down through 21. He's accusing them of some things that they shouldn't be doing. He's basically saying that you hate my instruction. You're just casting my words away. You're consenting to the thief. You're 
partaking in adultery. Boy, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? You know, he tells us over, and I believe it's the first chapter of Romans, that there are those that not only do these things, but take pleasure or rejoice in them that do them. You know, uh, have, they, they egg them on, so to speak, and support them. And then he says, these things, verse 21, these things hast thou done, and I kept silence. And now listen to this. This is the problem man has. This is the problem we have sometimes, but I trust as, as believers of the truth of God's sovereign grace, we understand that there's a difference. Sometimes we forget it, but I don't think that we're actively doing what the world is doing, but this is what the world is doing right now. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. You know, I believe that was part of the problem here with Job and his friends. They didn't have the right view of God. And I want to say to you, child of God, when you finally, when, when you start struggling with the things of life and you start lashing out, as I do from time to time, over the injustices of life and the things that don't work out in life and the problems that we run into in life, you've forgotten who God is. You're bringing him down to our level, you see. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. In other words, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you at some point. I'm, now, God doesn't come down. all. The, you know, he, he, he stayed silent through 30-something chapters here. Some, he may stay silent through many chapters of your life, but there'll be a time when he will speak. He will speak. I don't necessarily mean audibly, but he will display his power. You know, I've seen that. I've, I've read it in the Word of God, and that ought to be enough for us. But praise God, I've seen it in my life where I just thought things are never going to change. There's never going to be any breakthrough in this situation. And God brings the breakthrough. But listen, even if he doesn't bring the breakthrough, and even if it doesn't go your way, because it didn't go Job's way, God comes on the scene sometimes and just reminds us that he is God and we are not. We're not. Like I said, remember, this is the first book written in the canon of the Scriptures. It was only after Job's day that they had a, a Bible to even look at. And it was this book of Job. That must mean that what we learn here is one of the first principles that we need to remember. So, going back to Job, let's, let's look at a few things tonight and we'll continue this on and get into the meat of it next time. Notice in verse 1, he doesn't always look like us. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Out of the whirlwind. You know, Job, I don't know what he expected God to look like, but there were times that God appeared in the, in the form of a man in the Old Testament. And certainly now, God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is a man. At this time, he wasn't. But God the Father, God is a spirit, we're told. God the Holy Spirit, He certainly is a spirit. God does not always look like us, and He does not always look like we think He ought to look. Now here He appears in a whirlwind. I tend to think about God in that sense, that when the calamities occur, or the loud thundering, or the clashing and clanging of the cymbals occurs, that, uh, that there's, you know, God is, that's God speaking, but... Uh, but you know, I read back over in 1 Kings about a time when God appeared in a different way. In the 1 Kings chapter 19, 
This is where we read about Elijah beginning to feel sorry for himself and descending into a depression of his own making, I might add, and going off and sitting down under the juniper tree and bemoaning his estate and wishing that he could die and saying, Lord, you're just not doing me right. See, the calamity he was facing, he just had a great victory. He had just, he had just slain, I believe it was 850 prophets of Baal. He had just seen God send fire down from the heavens. And you know, if we're not careful, sometimes we think that God acts today in the way he's always acted. He acts in, that he acts in a certain situation the way he acts in every situation. That's not always the case. God appears in different ways. He moves in different ways. It's mysterious. You can't pin him down. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.